Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. A quick note about the foundation. Uh, We've started on our Anxiety and Depression Codex. It's a resource for sufferers of anxiety and depression and for people that know them. Uh, The goal here is if you go to any practitioner, uh, they may know 2 or 3% of all the possible treatments, and uh, this Vast literature review is intended to look over 5,000 plus sources, assimilate them all, and hopefully get to, let's say, 20% of all possible treatments uh, for anxiety and depression, which would be a big home run if we can do it. So to find out more, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org. We need your help in terms of donations and interest and volunteering. Today, my guest is Bob Kabuzi. He's the CEO of a company called Diffusion. They're working with a chemical abbreviated as TSC. It's a transsodium chrysetinate, if I've said it right. Talk about, uh, you know, that chemical and uh, Bob's work. So, Bob, thanks for coming. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background. And then, uh, you know, did you start Diffusion or you just became a CEO of it? Uh, You know, how did you come to present day? No, I'm a, I'm a somewhat late comer to the company. So I'm a biochemist by training, a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics. I've been working in the industry now for about 27 years, and I have spent most of that time in big pharma companies. Recently, in fact, last September, I joined Diffusion as CEO. I'd been on the board since the uh, January, just before COVID struck. And then with a um, variety of changes occurred and became CEO last September. So I'm fairly recent to the company at this point in time. Okay. And what's the uh, overall premise of Diffusion and uh, how does chemical as TST uh, play in? Yeah, happy to answer that. So Diffusion itself was started based upon technology that came out of the laboratory of Dr. John Gaynor. 
at the University of Virginia. He was a chemical engineer. He was working on trying to identify a molecule or a host of molecules that could potentially modulate how oxygen moves through the system. One of the, the biggest challenges in medicine is treating hypoxia or low tissue oxygen levels. And it occurs through a variety of mechanisms, um, losing a lot of blood, obviously, since blood is the carrier of oxygen would cause the problem. And it's also endemic in a number of other serious diseases, everything ranging from myocardial infarctions or heart attacks, strokes, cancerous tumors, solid tumors have very low oxygen levels. And even certain CNS diseases are related to low oxygen levels. So transodium crescetinate or TSC, as you identified it appropriately, is a molecule that was modified based upon a structure that was as many drugs are naturally occurring. So a crescetin itself is um, derived from the spice saffron, which in turn comes from a plant, sativus or crocus plant. And anyway, that a number of years ago, it's been identified that modifying the molecule, specifically taking chemically what's referred to as one stereoisomer, preferentially modifies the pharmacology. So it has an effect on the way that water molecules interact with each other. Water molecules are the primary composition of blood. And so as a consequence, rearranging the way the water molecules interact allows oxygen to move more readily from areas of high concentration to low concentration. Yeah, in the body, what creates uh, hypoxic conditions or regions? So any of a number of different situations can cause it. The simplest way would be an obstruction. Case in point, someone has a plaque in an artery, um, and as a consequence, the blood can't move into the area downstream of that clot. You see that with strokes, you see that with heart attacks and myocardial infarctions. So it's fairly common, but also one thing not everybody fully appreciates is that tumors, particularly solid tumors, frequently have very low oxygen levels. They're hypoxic in nature, and that's what makes them less susceptible to treatment. Okay. So how would would TSC uh, help modulate if there's a plaque? You know, would it help dissolve the plaque or would it allow, would it make the plaque porous molecules or... What TSC is doing specifically is it's improving the way that oxygen moves. You know, I said down a gradient. So high concentration in the case of the blood into low concentration areas, which would be uh, a tissue, muscle tissue or otherwise where there's lower oxygen levels. It be used as an adjuvant to some of the therapies that you were noting. So for example, if it were a clot, um, you'd have to use a clot dissolving drug. TPA in the case of stroke is frequently used if it's a clot, so long as it's not a hemorrhage and that dissolves the clot. But oftentimes these clots still allow a small amount of blood to pass through. And so to be able to keep the tissue viable downstream, you need more oxygen. It's not always possible just to blast it through mechanically. And so the premise is that TSC would aid in the ability to be able to move oxygen into the tissue more readily. Okay, I see. So it helps, uh, I guess what they call it, perfusion. Uh, oxygenation of all tissues. So that combined with like a clot buster would put you in a, in a better position than if you just took away the clot, but the tissues themselves may be, let's say, damaged or have become fibrotic somewhat on a micro scale level and therefore oxygen can't get in? That's correct. I mean, though in the brain, for example, at about four minutes, brain cells are dying if there's a lack of oxygen. And, you know, it's a, pretty much well-established fact that if you can keep keep metabolic levels low, oftentimes they'll cool bodies down in an attempt to reduce the amount of energy and metabolism that occurs. And if you can also get oxygen into the system, I mean, part of the reason that we use oxygen so readily in a hospital 
is that you're always trying to get more of it in the system so it can feel facilitate everything from healing to um, just preventing further damage from happening. So to what you were describing a moment ago, if you can get any improvement in the oxygen life levels downstream from where the blockage is, you're going to prevent those cells from dying. And obviously that's the best outcome you can possibly have because it, it's very hard to restore that after the fact. So with this chemical, again, it's, it's acting on the water in blood, but what is that doing to the, you know, to the oxygen? I would guess hemoglobin is the carrier, but does it allow the hemoglobin to dissolve in the blood better or what happens? No, it's a good question. So it's not affecting the hemoglobin directly, or at least I should say we don't believe it's a heck. It's affecting the hemoglobin directly. What it's doing is hemoglobin, you kind of think of it as a bus system that uh, moves around through the body and delivers the oxygen to a point where there's a lower concentration, at which point in time there are signals that really drive the oxygen off the bus, so to speak, the, the red blood cell, the hemoglobin molecules within the red blood cell, and those pass into the tissues where there's a lower oxygen state. This is actually making it easier, the TSC, sorry, is making it easier for the oxygen to move from the red blood cells into the tissue itself. So through the, um, the fluid, the water component of the blood. So in, again, in hypoxic conditions, it's not necessarily, well, I'm sure in some cases there's low red blood cells or, you know, in sickle cell anemia, you have that problem, but uh, this is addressing another problem, the ability of the red blood cells to give up their oxygen to the tissues in any given area, right? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, you have a small amount of oxygen that's diffused in the blood and travels around that isn't associated with the hemoglobin, but it's a it's a pretty small fraction. Otherwise, yes, you're right. I mean, if you've got a sickle cell situation, you don't have adequate amount of red blood cells that are moving into a space, obviously that can be compromised. But then part the other part of it, though, too, is it's not simply making it available. It's allowing it to get in. So everything is circulating through. It's, it's moving quickly through the bloodstream. And so as a consequence, if it misses the the opportunity to get off or only a small amount gets off, so to speak, then you want to maximize the opportunity that that small amount of oxygen that's gotten off the hemoglobin actually does get into the tissue. And we believe that actually TSC might help it do that. That's really the underlying premise of this. Yeah, it's weird because if a tissue is hypoxic, you would think there would be a, a huge oxygen gradient and there would be a big driving force for it to enter into the tissue. But like, what, what other factors then besides like literally you can't get access to the tissue, you know, like from blood supply, like what other factors are contributing to hypoxia that this would help? Yeah, I mean, so a tumor, you know, as you mentioned a moment ago, there are other instances where it's not just simply a blockage that prevents the blood pressure. Bre- red blood cells from getting there. Tumors, for example, have um, very unique microenvironments. You'll get a lot of vasculature on the outer components of a tumor where it's growing very rapidly, and then you'll have a low amount in the, the center of the tumor itself. I mean, it doesn't mean that the tissue isn't growing. I mean, tumor masses themselves, depending on the type of tumor it is, 
can grow very quickly. The point being here, the lack of vasculature, the lack of ability to get the blood into the center part of the tumor means there's low oxygen levels. Um, there's PET scan data that demonstrates this is the case. We've animal data that's shown that we can actually reduce the amount of hypoxia, conversely increase the amount of oxygen in the tumor. Does it do this directly by charging in there and putting more um, hemoglobin into the space? No, it's actually moving the molecular oxygen around is what we believe. I'm not going to sit here and tell you we know every facet of how this is working. I mean, obviously with all drugs, some of this is empiric, but the data appear to substantiate that you actually improve the amount of oxygen that gets into the tissues, even in a situation like a tumor. So if this is an adjuvant, what's the adjuvant for the adjuvants? Like, you know, with blood thinners? <laughs> no, I mean, we know if yeah, it's used in combination with blood thinners, is it better? Or is it anti-clotting? Is it better? Or what, how could it be further? So obviously, if you look at a situation, for example, as you said, blood thinners, you could do that. And, you know, mechanically, it makes it easier in most instances for the blood to move around. The, you can also just give a lot more oxygen. I mean, hyperbaric therapy is beneficial as well. Uh, it's used oftentimes for wounds. There's instances now, publications in the literature that demonstrate that for uh, central nervous system disorders that you can see some benefits. But all of that's reliant upon just driving mechanically a lot more oxygen across, across the gradient itself. One of the challenges with doing that is you can have the situation of hyperoxia too much oxygen being present. And part of the reason just to kind of bring this into, into frame here is that in a tumor, the low oxygen is a risk. Obviously, if there's low oxygen, the tissue should die, but it's also a risk because in the absence of oxygen, the radiation and oftentimes even the chemotherapeutics don't really work as effectively. If you have too much oxygen present in normal tissue, for example, you run the risk of creating a lot of superoxide and other free radicals that in fact are damaging. And it's those free radicals that you're generating with radiation. So in that situation, it's a good thing to have the free radicals, but hyperoxygenation or too much oxygen under normal physiologic normal physiologic conditions is actually a detrimental situation. Oh, so this would be uh, an assist to, let's say, chemotherapy or radiation. So the tumor has created a microenvironment that is actually hostile to these therapies, but this would make it more of a hospitable environment where these therapies would work better. Exactly correct. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Oh, that's very cool. That's so in terms of, uh, I, mean, I mean, I don't know, in percentage of efficacy, like how much does this increase the transport of oxygen in a given system? Like have you used a, an organoid to model this or are you using mice or how are you doing it? Yeah, I think from a quantification standpoint, it's a bit difficult to do. There's a number of different techniques that have been used over the years, but from a physiologic system standpoint, it's quite difficult to look at percent of oxygen. You can look in humans, obviously, and obviously is an unfair word to use, but pulse oximetry is used. And that's effectively looking at the amount of oxygen that's bound to hemoglobin, right? So those little infrared devices that go on the fingertips that are utilized in the hospitals. We've recently done a study where we looked at something called the transcutaneous oxygen monitoring or measurement device that actually is a, a heated probe that's put on four different points on the lower aspect of the leg. And it, it's heated so it warms the skin, allows oxygen to move through, and then uses a technology called a Clark-type electrode to actually measure the amount of oxygen that, if you will, is percolating through the skin. And you know we're able to see changes there. 
but as far as being able to measure at the level of the microenvironment amongst the cells, I wouldn't be able to quantify that because I've not seen data to that effect. Well, are there any important cofactors like pH? I would think, you know, depending on the level of oxygen saturation, the pH would also change tremendously. So is this TSC molecule, does it work in lower high pH environments? Is there any consideration there? Yeah, I mean, you're going to look for lactate levels. So to the point you're making, um, if lactate goes up, pH goes down, it's an acid. So when you do see something like that, it's usually a good indicator that cell death is occurring. Um, As far as whether or not that transforms the functionality of TSC, it's a bit unknown. The pH is is pretty readily balanced within the blood, 7 to 8-ish in that ballpark. And all evidence indicates that if we maintain pH in that realm, that's where TSC is most effective. There's also some evidence in the literature, although we've really not seen as much of this, but some evidence that says crocetin itself might act as an oxygen scavenger. So there's different aspects to this, not all of which have been fully characterized to the extent that we're looking at um, trying to see if we can actually move oxygen more readily. But I'm not really sure, I think in part two, the question you're getting at, that we're getting a tremendous amount of TSC into the tissues themselves. So as long as the blood pH isn't changing markedly, and obviously if you've got a lot of lactate dropping into the blood, then it would start to lower it. But we we still believe under those circumstances that you're going to see an effect with TSC. Yeah, I just wonder if, if science has characterized, like let's say in the tumor microenvironment, is there you know a lower or higher pH? And then under, again, certain, you know there's a clot, um, what happens to the blood before and after the clot? Again, is its pH affected and does this have any bearing on the action of TSC? I was just wondering if, if you guys are looking at that, if you included it, if it's not important, then, you know, fine. But that's what came into my mind. Yeah, it, again, excellent question. We haven't looked at it specifically. Um, we haven't gone through one of the things we'd like to look at downstream is lactate levels in in the blood and the tissues and try and characterize that a little bit better. But I, I won't sit here and tell you we've characterized that extensively at this point because we haven't. So how far along is TSC on the clinical path? Have you guys done uh, clinical trials yet? And where are you at with the process? Yeah, the company's been around actually for some time. As I said, I joined last September. Um, the new management team la- joined last September. But prior to that time, there have been a number of small clinical studies that were done. Um, the first study was done a while back looking at effects in peripheral artery disease, um, especially those patients who have pain or intermittent claudication, as it's called. There was um, a study done, a phase two study in patients with glioblastoma multiform, a very invasive form of brain cancer. And subsequently, there was a study done in stroke or started in stroke. Unfortunately, until the latter, the pandemic began. And so that study had to be put aside. We weren't able to continue as a company moving forward with it. When I came in, there was a COVID study that had just been started, a very small study, wasn't controlled by placebo or other active comparator. But through that study, we actually did see a signal that indicated that there were some improvements in the patient's. So that gave us some hope that there's something positive. And similarly, in both the PAD and the glioblastoma studies, there were positive signals, although they weren't adequately controlled, so to speak, from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah, another thought that, that came to mind is um, if you injected this into someone's you know, circulatory system, how would it affect the normal perfusion of, uh, you know, of blood and oxygen into the tissues? Like, you know, let's say in the heart itself, does it act differently or look differently? Does it over-oxygenate? you know, preferentially if you inject this TSC and then, you know, by the time the, the blood gets to the tissues that really are in, 
a hypoxic state, you know, maybe this enables the blood to dump a higher percentage of its oxygen content. So therefore it creates, it might create more hypoxia distally. I don't know. And another excellent question, Richard. So in the, t- this TCOM, the transcutaneous oxygen monitoring study that I mentioned a moment ago, um, that was actually done in normal, healthy volunteers. And one of the things that I would say has been rewarding about the outcome of that study is that we didn't see hyperoxia. So these were subjects who were lying on a table for a period of time, and they had the drug introduced after they'd been lying down for approximately an hour. And then they were monitored versus those who had different doses of TSE and or a dose of placebo. And as a consequence, what we saw was some improvement. Actually, we saw what could be a normalization of oxygen levels, but we didn't see evidence of hyperoxia. So there was no evidence that, you know, as you indicated, that blood was being pushed unnaturally or to higher levels, or certainly that the oxygen wasn't being pushed to higher levels. And there was no evidence based upon any of the safety monitoring that was done that syncope, so no overt evidence that someone had a lesser amount of blood moving into other parts of their body. So all very positive outcomes as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, that's great. And then I guess last thing is uh, in the heart, you know, from what I've learned, a lot of the blockage can appear in the microvasculature, not necessarily the big vessels. Um, in your experimentation, are you looking also, can you even image the microvascular of a heart that has one or more clots? And then can you see on both scales, the large and the small, what the TSC is doing? Yeah, ultimately, the, certainly the technology, to answer your question directly, the technology is there to do that. Since I've been with the company and what the company had done before, to that level of detail where there had been sort of perfusion studies, so to speak, that had not been done. There was evidence that showed that there's improvement in aortic blood gas levels of oxygen. There's evidence that shows that you had lesser damage in some instances downstream, but the level of occlusion, which is, I think, what you're implying here, I don't want to presuppose what your question was, but the level of occlusion wasn't detailed enough to say that it was completely blocked or it was partially blocked and if partially to what extent. Yeah. And I just wonder if the TSC would have a preferential effect on, again, more of the major arteries versus the microvasculature. If imaging is difficult, then it's hard to figure that out, but it's just something I thought of. I wouldn't say the imaging is difficult. It's done on a regular basis down to fairly small vascular levels. I'm not a physician, I'm a scientist, but my reading of literature indicates that you can get fairly decent granularity. The The issue for us is we haven't looked at it to that level of granularity yet because those studies just haven't been done. It's a small company that's had a modicum of funding up until fairly recently where we've been fortunate enough to be raising enough money to really move through the next couple of transit points that we need as a company. So, you know, as we look at things going forward, we'll certainly consider all options, but expressly to the other part of your question, it's going to be in the blood. Everything we know from a pharmacokinetic standpoint indicates that TSC is in the blood. There's a limited amount that leaves the so-called central compartment. So whether it's a large vessel or a small vessel on a proportionate basis, you should still have comparable amounts of TSC there. Okay, excellent. And so again, in the, in the clinical pathway, what's left now? What kind of clinical trials, what level, how long till this would be again appearing in clinic and and which condition is showing like the most promise for you guys, most interest in cancer or is most interest in, uh, you know, like heart attack situations? Yeah. So that's, uh, well, uh, the straight answer to the question is since I've joined, since the management team joined, we stepped back, we identified a few gaps that we wanted to address in the development program. We wanted to look at the dose response relationship with oxygenation 
And so as a consequence, we started a series of three studies this year, which we've uniquely called oxygenation trials. The first of which was that TCOM study that I mentioned. The second of which is we're going to look at normal healthy volunteers again, but in this case under hyperbaric conditions. So we're going to raise them in terms of the level of altitude, and we're also going to have them exercise. So as a consequence, we'll be inducing hypoxia, which should actually invoke the gradient. So we should be able to see some benefit there. And we'll take a number of measurements and see what effect it has on everything from blood gases to the lactate you were asking about to even some simple performance measures that will be done. And finally, the third of the three oxygenation trials will look at the use of uh, instrumentation that does DLCO is the moniker it goes by. And it looks at the transfusion of carbon monoxide through the lungs. It's used commonly as a measure of how much uptake through the alveoli in the lungs you get of carbon monoxide as an indirect measure of oxygen uptake. We'll look at that to see if in patients who have interstitial lung disease, we can see any kind of improvement when we administer TSC to people who already have compromised ability to take up um, oxygen through the alveoli or through the lungs themselves. So with those three studies and the data we get from those, we hope to have, plan to have a much better idea about what the dose-response relationship is with oxygenation. And then on that basis, we can look at the express indications that we want to move forward with. One of the challenges is that hypoxia shows up with association to so many different conditions we have an intravenously administered drug is the formulation now. So we just want to make sure we're using it in the, um, the right indications so that we see the best chance for a benefit. So that's why we've kind of stepped back and we're doing these. Okay. Very good. What last question, where, what area are you seeing the most interest in interest in from industry? Is it the cancer part? Is it still an unknown or, you know, what are you guys seeing out there? The biggest interest? I, I'd say it's it, it's a bit unknown. There there has been interest without obscuring anything, both in terms of ischemic disorders, stroke, MI, as well as in the cancer space. I think it, it's driven as much by the medical need. It's just in both instances, there's not a lot out there for treatment. If it's in a stroke, for example, I mentioned, I mentioned tissue plasminogen activator TPA is typically used, but you still need to get more oxygen in. So the adjuvant use there of TSC is a pretty powerful opportunity. And similarly, if you've got something that's going to improve the outcomes using whether it's radiotherapy or a chemotherapy, temozolomide, for example, in glioblastoma, that would be a very positive thing because the results right now are pretty awful for the unfortunate people who are afflicted with the condition. So there's interest in those. And, you know, we want to make sure that we've got the right pathway again, marrying it up with the best possibility of success. Okay. Very good. What's the best way people can find out more about your company, about yourself and the activities? Yeah. So on our website, www.fusionpharma.com, great place to look. Um, the other place we're a public company. So obviously there's a lot of information that goes out through SEC filings. They can be found in the investor relations section on our website. So either of those will get you to the information you're asking about. Very good, Bob. Thank you for coming on the podcast and I really appreciate it. Likewise, Richard, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the company and what we're doing with TSC. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.